Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. Well, you're very welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last programme discussing the Irish education system. We've been discussing the idea of teachers and how children can proper engage in play as a different form of learning. You can still listen back to the podcast on Newstalk.com or on iTunes and also on the Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up on today's programme, we're going to be discussing homelessness. We'll be asking what can be done to try and curb the numbers entering homelessness in this country. And we'll be asking what can be done to help those that are classified as homeless to try to get out of the situation. Joining us to discuss our panel today, Dr Paula Mayock, Trinity College Dublin Assistant Professor in Youth Studies, John Mark McCafferty, who's the, th- the CEO of Threshold, and also Mike Allen, who's the Focus Ireland Director of Advocacy. My thanks to you all for joining us in studio today. If I can maybe just start, um, just perhaps with yourself, John Mark McCafferty, from an organi- organisational perspective, just remind us what it is that Threshold do. Sure, well, we're a national charity um, and we work uh, to support tenants in the private rented sector mostly um, through advice and tenancy protection and indeed through advocating on behalf and with tenants in relation to places like the Residential Tenancies Board. So we're about empowering and advising tenants in the private rented sector but also saving homes, saving their tenancies um, given the unprecedented pressure in that sector and its connection with and its pathway into homelessness over the last five, six, seven years. So are you sort of in the area where you're trying to avoid people actually preventing homelessness in the first place from a rental perspective? Yeah, we're very much in the space of working with and informing and advising tenants of the rights um, uh, and working with them um, mediating often with landlords and also with state agencies and then representing increasingly over the last number of years more intensively caseworking and representing tenants and their families when it comes to places like uh, the Residential Tenancies Board where their tenancy, I guess, is at stake. There's a dispute with the landlord and where a successful outcome may mean the difference between Mm -hmm. retaining their home and losing their home. So we're very much, you know, we're over 40 years in Ireland and... We were known to to advise tenants and uh, to provide information. That has evolved very much in the last number of years to include a homeless prevention focus, given that um, at least half of those of individuals and families who find themselves in emergency accommodation um, and in homelessness okay. um, have come from the private rented sector. They've either been priced out or their tenancy has ended, maybe because the landlord has sold or, or they've... They've said they were selling, but actually then just increase the, you know, finish the tenancy and, and then increase the rent for someone else. OK, just from your own perspective, uh, Dr. Paula Mayock, it's just more to outline really to listeners where your own kind of area of expertise is. But you're obviously very much in the research um, academia area. Yes. Um, so since um, I started researching homelessness around 2004, which is around 15 years ago, and uh uh, we have focused a lot on youth and on women. Um, that's myself and colleagues at Trinity. So um, a big, uh, I suppose, plank of that research has been to try to, in relation to youth homelessness, we have uh, uh, recruited young people into uh, a number of studies and followed them over time. So one particular study we followed them between 2004 and 2010. And in a more recent study, we initiated another uh, with a different group. We recruited them into the study in 2013 and uh, followed them through to 2015-16. So that approach has the advantage of um, being able to see and understand change if indeed it happens over time. Okay. So we're able to look at are young people getting out of homelessness, basically? And what are the mechanisms that enable them and what are the barriers that prevent um, uh, them entering into a situation where they have housing stability and can essentially move on with their lives? Okay, I might actually, um, Paula, come back to just some of the findings, I'm sure, from Mm -hmm. that research in in just a few moments. But just as I said, to give listeners a sort of a perspective from from where you're working at, um, just Mike Allen, Focus Ireland, where do you fit into helping people that are in this situation? Well, Focus Island is one of the leading homeless and housing organisations in, in Ireland. So 
Um, uh, we're probably best known for the work we do on homelessness. So we, we work in specialised in three key areas. We work with people who are on the streets with Housing First. We're one of the lead organisations on, on, on Housing First in Ireland, which takes people who've got chronic complex needs and supports them directly in, 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 into housing. We're the lead organisation on working with families, which is you know, where the new crisis mm. uh, has emerged. And we've also do a lot of work with, with, with young people, uh, care leavers uh, and so on. Um, what we we don't run shelters primarily. That's not what we do. We don't think that shelters are the answer. Um, we believe that prevention uh, is the answer. We believe that uh, homes are the answer. And so we have over a thousand uh, homes that we rent directly to people, and we are uh, continuing to build that. But I suppose one of the things that distinguishes Focus Island from other homeless charities is the extent to which we uh, believe that we need to deal with the structural causes. So we've invested in in research. So some of the work that Polar has done, we've been delighted to help fund. And we've researched we probably most of the things that people know about family homelessness arise out of research that Focus Ireland paid for. And we believe that we can't solve this problem unless we understand it. And at the moment in Ireland, we're spending vast sums of money on just people putting people into emergency shelter. And there's one thing we know about emergency shelters, they don't solve homelessness. Okay. And we need to look at what does solve it and, and start spending a bit more money on that area. We hear politicians constantly, or certainly we did hear them constantly talking about the fear that the figures of the number of people in homelessness you know, may rise above the 10,000 figure. And that happened about six, seven months ago. Um, can I ask you, Mike Allen, just in terms of like, by way of a general overview of the figures, despite all the money that's been pumped into this, and I was just looking, the finance minister had said quite recently that there was about 166 million is going to be spent on homelessness services for next year. We're, we don't seem to be getting on top of the figures in terms of actually reducing the people that are entering the situation. It's largely because we are spending large amounts of money, but we're spending on things that self-evidently don't solve the problem. Um, if we think of homelessness as rough sleeping, which is a lot of the way that the government seems to and, and people do, but that's the way it's presented, you tend to think then as, as of shelters as being the solution. Actually, what we're counting in homelessness is the number of people in emergency shelters. So if you build more shelters, you end up with more homeless people because that's what you're doing. What you need to do is have a much more uh, ambitious, much more uh, uh, active policy of building homes. Because the fundamental problem here where we talk about homelessness as the the, um, symptom of the problem, the underlying cause is there are simply not enough homes for people to live in. That's why the work that Threshold do is so crucial to, to help people stay in their in the homes that they're in. And and it comes very strongly in terms of, of Paula's work that shows that the answer to this is more homes. So IBEC, the Employers' Federation, say that we need to build 36,000 new homes every year to stand still. And we need to do more in the immediate years. The government's highest ambition is to build 25,000 new homes, and they're not even going to probably around 20 this year. So every year, the fundamental problem, which is there are not enough homes for the people who need uh, mm-hmm. people who need to live in them, is getting worse and worse. And now that doesn't need to necessarily um, result in mass homelessness, but it's very likely that if you've got more people looking for, for homes than you have actual homes okay. to put them in, homelessness is going to result. Can I ask you, uh, Dr. Paula Mayock, have we just been, are we def- defining it or is the, de- give us the definition of homelessness then, if, when you're to take from what Mike's actually saying there. Is it just that we're, I think a lot of people think mm-hmm. when they think of homelessness, it's it's somebody who has either lost their home or has left their home and they're sleeping on the street. But there's there's a number of different classifications. Yeah, that's the, the rough sleeper definition is the very narrowest definition. And in fact, um, our, we know for that from our rough sleeper, sleeper counts, which are, they vary between maybe 120, 150, 160. I think the highest in most recent times was over 180. But that's a mere fraction of the people, of people who are actually homeless. Um, um, homeless so homeless people are people who, yes, they do include people on the street. They include people in emergency accommodation. Currently, they include people who are in homeless uh, hubs, uh, family hubs in hotels, commercial hotels, in B&B accommodation. Um, we don't count, for example, women in domestic violence refuges as homeless. Um, we don't count people in long-term supported accommodation as homeless, even though um, they are essentially not, these, they, that wouldn't rank or rate, rate as a home. So the 10,000 or so figure we have at the moment is, um, is the tip of the iceberg, one could argue, and it it definitely doesn't include 
for example, young people who are couch surfing and living in situations okay. of homelessness. So you're saying in, re- in reality the figures are much higher. Is that what you're saying? Yes, they are, yeah. And we don't know what they are, but they're certainly, the figures we have, the official figures we have are almost certainly, um, I would say, definitely an underestimate. Um, because, as I say, they don't count people in uh, in the broader context uh, of hidden homelessness. We know, for example, that uh, families who enter into homelessness, we just take families, that they will have generally spent a good while living in a situation of hidden homelessness because they're and reluctant. Just what is that, Paula, just to clarify? What is hidden homelessness? Uh, hidden homelessness is basically living temporarily with a family member, a friend, uh, not not with a separate bedroom. Um, these situations tend not to be sustainable, understandably, because of overcrowding within that household. Um, it works for a while, but then um, it, it, it proves to be just not workable on a day-to-day basis of maybe uh, getting kids out to school, um, all sorts of other um, just mm. day-to-day activities that won't work in that situation. And presumably, John Mark McCafferty from Threshold, people don't enter homelessness overnight. Like if from listening to what Paul is saying, there's obviously, you know, that period where people are maybe in that kind of hidden homelessness category before they actually maybe go to an emergency accommodation or go to a shelter or seek help. Like it's not an overnight thing. So why is there such a delay in in getting intervention there to try and prevent that? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. I, I guess, you know, from the experience of the, the people that we are assisting, we're advising, um, the experience in, in the private rented sector right now is that um, rents are high um, and notwithstanding some of the moderating effects of, say, the rent pressure zones in most of the country, which, if you like, have um, to some extent had some uh, impact on on the rents, rents still are increasing, so they're at the highest they've ever been um, in in both urban and rural areas. Secondly, um, there's what we would call a lack of tenure security. So what does that mean? It means that people in the rented sector are fearful often of of losing their homes. So it might be a landlord's property, but it's a family or an individual's home. And because of the the legislation that we have, while it has improved in recent years, um, there are many ways in which you can you know, your tenancy can end through no fault of your own. So that's a, a big cloud hanging over many a family's head. And I guess thirdly, in terms of those options, we talk about, you know, couch surfing, sofa surfing, or, you know, arrangements with friends, family, very informal, you know, night to night arrangements with, with uh, individuals and families. That's partly because of the fundamental lack of supply that Mike has been talking about. Um, and even within the private rented sector, where at the height or the depths, if you like, of the recession, where things were very bad uh, socially and economically in lots of ways, there was a kind of a fair softening of the private rented sector. There were um, houses and apartments uh, more available, rents were lower, people had options if tenancies ended, people moved to other places. We have the perfect storm now because of the fundamental lack of supply, the high rents and lack of affordability, and not, as I say, Despite changes in legislation, there are many grounds in which you can lose your tenancy okay, through so, no fault of so, your own. So just to try and get my head around this, because we consistently talk here in the programme about you know, the housing situation and housing supply, and I am a renter myself, so I'm acutely aware of the pressures that, that, that um, people in the rental sector are under and trying to even get properties. But when you look at um, the point you're making about the perfect storm, uh, John, the, the idea that you have, you know, people that maybe don't have a home or can't get a mortgage renting, rents are increasing, they can't afford to pay it. Therefore, they're trying to struggle to get accommodation and, and competing in a really, really competitive market. Is it just too simplistic, Paula, to say that, you know, that that, that is like people are entering homelessness because they don't have a home? Or are there not other you know, I suppose huge factors in in the middle of all of that as well, societal issues maybe. Yes, there are. And um, I think that um, one of the um, sort of misconceptions that is currently out there over the homelessness and housing crisis um, is that there's this notion that anyone can become homeless. And, And yes, in theory, they can. Um, you know, um, you mentioned you're in, in the private rental sector, you can get a notice to quit um, tomorrow. But I think the difference is that you will have a backup and you'll have safety nets. People um, who find themselves homeless after getting notice from a landlord typically don't. And in fact, if we look at the, uh, 
profile and the characteristics of our homeless population, what we, what, we, what we do know, and it mirrors the international picture, is that people who become homeless are low-income households. They are poor people. They're not, um, they're not um, it, um, we have a very high proportion, between 60 and 70% of our homeless population are unemployed, for example. Uh, so, um, so there are vulnerabilities there, structural uh, vulnerabilities. Then um, I think the other piece is that we fail to distinguish between different um, sectors of the homeless population. Uh, for example, and be- because I've done a lot of work on youth homelessness, I'll just yeah, use, yeah, use that as an example. Um, young people become homeless for different reasons than a 40-something year old or a 50-something year old will become homeless. For example, young people's homelessness is very strongly linked to histories of straight, uh, state care, to vulnerabilities within their families, um, family issues, uh, family breakdown. Um, and uh, very often they, uh, and in most cases, they will enter into a situation of homelessness in a state of trauma. Uh, which is uh, uh, possibly everybody will, but there will be p- particular uh, issues that will need to be addressed. And at the age of 18, these young people enter into adult mm. homelessness emergency settings. Yeah, all of a sudden you're on your own. Uh, all, it, absolutely. Without without those uh, uh, social supports, family supports and so on. But very critically, young people then are entering into an adult you know, a world of adulthood that is not, you know, it's no ordinary world of adulthood. Um, these settings are designed um, for to, to, to deal with crisis uh, and they tend not to be able to put a plan in place that will help young people to get out of that situation. And currently, of course, we have a situation where the only place to exit to is the private rental market and as John Mark and uh, Mike have pointed out it is an an entirely unsustainable situation when even uh, people who are um, who are employed uh, have an income are are, are experiencing difficulties sustaining um, their rental accommodation. So just in summary is it fair to say that like yes anybody can given you know a traumatic circumstance Mm. anybody can enter homelessness but the vast majority of those that do, as you mentioned, that figure of 60 to 70 percent are are people that are coming from perhaps a poor income background in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Can I you ask you, yeah, Mike Allen, just what's what's your um, your view on all of this? I mean, there's there's a number of other complexities at play here than simply just losing your home. Absolutely. And, and so it, it, when you go and look at individual cases, when, and, and Paula is absolutely right, there are very different stories and different groups of people experiencing this very differently. But um, there hasn't been a tripling of the number of people who are poor in Ireland. In fact, the number of people who, who are poor has, has, has actually declined. Um, a number of uh, people who are homeless have complex support needs. There hasn't been a tripling of the number of people with complex support needs. So people who had problems in the past, which didn't result in them becoming homeless, are now becoming homeless because there aren't enough homes. So somebody is like... The majority, like people would think, um, number of people who are homeless, single people might have drug addictions or they might have mental health issues and so on. Every case where you can give, whether it be any of those issues, there's more people in homes with those issues or those problems than there are homeless. So they're not causes of homelessness. So if there aren't enough homes to go around, it's hardly surprising that the people who actually get pushed out onto the street or into the emergency accommodation are the most vulnerable, are the poorest, are the ones who've got the the least networks. They aren't homeless because they don't have networks. They're homeless because there's not enough homes and they got chosen to be the one who became homeless because... They didn't have the networks, they don't have the income, they have the other problems go- going on in their lives. So it's not just a matter of homes. We've done a lot of work as homeless organisations, both um, innovative work and, and, and based on research, about knowing what we can do to solve people's problems. So Housing First is, a, is an example of that. Focus Ireland is doing Housing First with families who have complex needs um, and wouldn't simply be able to go into a home and and maintain a tenancy uh, with their neighbours. But, but that's the thing. I, I but mean, I, if there's no home, all the skills and all the expertise of yeah. Oaks Island has, has invested over a number of years of having team, teams of people who can support people to do these things. But in the absence of a home to do it in, it all becomes 
uh, very expensive yeah. and very uh, I, I, I frustrating. Ex- yeah, I, I accept your point, but I, I just wonder that, I mean, if we're to build, if a private you know, investor comes in today and builds 10 new homes and we take 10 families that are currently in emergency accommodation, we take them out of the emergency accommodation this afternoon and we put them into a home, does that solve the problem? For those 10 yeah. families, it does, yeah. yeah. Uh, they might need support. Some of them mm-hmm. won't. Some of them just say, great. Uh, the only reason I was I lost my home is because the landlord was selling up and I couldn't find somewhere else. Some of them might have develop some uh, challenges in, uh, uh, while they've been homeless because that's a really serious problem. And others might have problems, so they might need support. But for those 10 families, that would solve the problem, yeah. The problem is that 10 is just, the, we're, we're working and thinking on the wrong scale. Government is, you, you just look at the social media coming from government and you've got still got ministers going around saying, praise me, I'm doing great, here's me in a high-vis jacket, opening 10 housing units. We... Until 10 housing units isn't worth talking about because we're doing hundreds of housing units, we're nowhere near beginning to address this problem. And, and there is no recognition in, in government or in opposition parties, I believe, about the actual scale of this problem in terms of not just the 10,000 men, women and children are homeless, but as, as, as Paul and, and John mm-hmm. Mark have referred to, the huge numbers of people. Finland is the country that's best solved homelessness. Uh, uh, Juha, the, the head of the homeless organization there, says that even in, in Finland, they had to build uh, 10 homes for every one person who was officially homeless when they started. Because there's this whole hinterland of people who don't have adequate homes and start emerging and start telling us about their needs when you start to sol- solve the problem. So you're saying there's, there's look, and that's something we, we can we can discuss at another point as well. But what you're saying is that there's there should be a greater focus, obviously, on the development. But it's trying to get builders to build and get land to build. Well, on. And, and government to build, because the way that we've always solved this problem before in, in Ireland and, and countries that have done so is the, the reason we have a state. The reason we 100 years ago said, let's have our own state and set up our own government is because there's certain things that we as a people want to achieve. One of those is to house our people. And one of the things we can do and did in the past is the state institutions, the local authorities mm-hmm. or whatever you want to set up, actually go out and build the housing. Okay. And while we tell ourselves a story that that hasn't worked, in 99% of the cases, that has been really successful and a very large number of the homes that people live in in Ireland were built by public activity, local authorities or, or elsewhere. And we we're, tend to have forgotten that. We're just going to take a very short break, but just before we do that, just Paula and John Mark, if I can just ask you both just briefly for your views on that point, that it, you know, it, in many cases it's just as simple as, as putting uh, bricks in the ground and building a home, Paul. Is that, is that fair? Well, that's yes. I mean, if we've if Mike is right there, if we have more houses, we're going we're going to move um, to solve the problem and 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 to resolve uh, our massive problem of homelessness. Uh, I think there are um, different groups may need different supports and uh, and particularly if they're a long time in homelessness. Mm. Uh, because they tend to develop problems um, over that time. For instance, you know, if we'd look at a, the example of a family with children living in in in, in a room, um, you know, they're going to have additional. Some may, some may not have additional support needs. Certainly, a lot of young people will have support needs, particularly if they spend a few years in homelessness, and because of their uh, backgrounds, because they need to be linked in with their families. There is a whole piece there around fa- work with family focus Ireland are currently running a family mediation service. Um, I think as well that um, we really need to focus on the whole area of prevention. Mm. Um, we, we will come and, to that. Yeah. You know, so um, as well as um, having, as resolving the problem at one end of the scale, we need to stop it um, happening in the first instance. Okay. And just John Mark, just on that housing point. Yeah, clearly... Uh, Supply is fundamental. Supply is absolutely key, whether it's social housing, owner-occupied housing, um, or, or private rented housing, uh, which is more affordable. Um, what's um, also fundamental is further policy changes and legal changes in relation to the private rented sector. And that's allied to the, the prevention area, which I'm sure we'll be talking about shortly. OK. Well, you're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. 
You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today, we're discussing homelessness. We're asking what can be done to try and curb the numbers entering homelessness and what can be done to try and help those that are currently experiencing homelessness to change their current situation. Still with us today, our panel in studio, Dr. Paula Mayock, who's a Trinity College Dublin Assistant Professor in Youth Studies, John Mark McCafferty, who's the CEO of Threshold, and also the uh, Director of Advocacy with Focus Ireland, Mike Allen. My thanks to you all for staying with us today. Just in the first part of the programme today, I suppose effectively we've been discussing really the definition of homelessness and looking overall just by um, in a general sense at the at the figures that are currently experiencing homelessness in this country. But I wanted to come to you, Paula, just in a point you mentioned at the start of the show today about the makeup of people that are currently in mm. homelessness and the demographic and just some of your own research um, in particular within in that very specific area. You cited two different trials mm. or research projects that have been carried out. If you can just maybe sure. give us an indication of those. Okay, um, so um, this is in the area of youth homelessness and it's very important to make that clear. So we're talking about young people uh, who become homeless either under the age of 18 but then up to the age of 24 or 25. Um, for that, that that would be our normal, our, our the accepted defi- definition of youth. Um, so in our former study co- conducted between uh, 20. 2004 and, and 2010, we saw quite a lot of um, success there in young people exiting homelessness. So when we followed them, uh, uh, one year later, almost 60% had exited the homeless service okay. system. Um, but in our more more recent study, only 24% had. So what what was the, in the first instance, what was the... the uh, um, Issue, if you like, that got them out of out of homelessness. In in the first, there was a greater availability of housing. Okay, given the time period, yes, that was yeah. two thousand and four to about two thousand and ten. Yeah, so there were greater number of housing options for those young people, and also at the height of the downturn. As yes, well. yes, and uh, uh, whereas uh, currently, um, also there was transitional housing for young people that was abolished after the uh, housing policy statement in twenty thirteen, under a housing led approach. And in fact, internationally, there is it's not, there's some support in research-wise for transitional housing for a short period of for some young people who need a period to make them housing ready. Um, in the more recent study, uh, as I said, only seven of the forty young people had exited um, after a period of two years. Um, all of those young people were continuing to circle, to navigate the system in and out, in and out, leaving the system temporarily, couch surfing into low quality private rented accommodation back into the system um, with no stability. Obviously, in that situation, they can't maintain engagement with education. They can't uh, move into a realm where they will have a chance of labour market participation um, and their lives are entirely unstable as they uh, just constantly um, in and out of uh, uh, emergency hostel accommodation. As you mentioned, John Mark McCafferty, you know, in Threshold, I suppose your job is to try and keep people in their homes. But when you listen to those figures that Paula has just cited, there's a serious discrepancy, you know, in the past nearly six, seven years from the research they've been carrying out in terms of the number of people, young people who were able to leave homelessness and not come back into it, you know, in the following year or two. And I guess that's why prevention is absolutely key because um, where we're seeing, I guess, a lot of the debate and a lot of the government expenditure is in uh, emergency accommodation. And it's really important that there's expenditure and investment in that area. However, um, the area that can stop homelessness from from happening in the first place um, is is various prevention um, initiatives. And we provide, if you like, a, a national homeless prevention service through our tenancy protection service. Um, and what's important about that is uh, alongside providing the, the advice that we have existed to provide, we also work more intensively with families and, and with individuals. And that's not just about advice, but also more tailored supports, um, linking in with landlords, linking in with government agencies, perhaps, say, the Department of Social Protection mm-hmm. in relation to the uh, an uplift in rent supplement um, local authorities um, having conversations with landlords to um, to stop um, evictions or, or things escalating further and where they escalate to the point where there are disputes which reach thing, places like the Residential Tenancies Board or indeed the Workplace Relations Commission when it comes to 
things like discrimination on the grounds of, of people um, applying for the housing assistance payment, then we are there. Um, now, that work, it's, it's very intensive. And in some ways, it's quite invisible because we are preventing something from happening. Um, so we don't have the tangible, you know, homeless hub mm. or, you know, a particular team on the streets. We're doing it face to face on the phone um, in these representative uh, processes. Um, and we're stopping homelessness from, from happening in the first place. So people are remaining in their homes. And in some ways, even though that's like, a, you know, Mike was talking about that structural um, solution. And this is, for me, the kind of the most effective structural solution in terms of the broader mm-hmm. homeless piece. And, and, and that's that's not to take away at all from, you know, the particular challenges um, facing young people and, and, and women fleeing domestic violence. But in terms of that kind of broader population, um, the prevention element is absolutely key. It requires further investment. It also requires further promotion by the states and by local authorities in terms of what they're already investing in um, so that people know that they have recourse to tenancy protection services or the services of, of Focus or indeed okay. um, other providers. So for us... Tenancy protection is key. Mediation is really important. But where mediation doesn't work and where there are things like, um, because a lot of what we deal with are tenancy terminations or threatened tenancy tenancy terminations. Our more in-depth work challenging those tenancy terminations because many of them are invalid is really important. Sometimes we challenge them uh, to a landlord and they back down and they'll accept uh our points and the, the tenancy is, is saved or protected. Sometimes it requires then further work at the residential tenancies board and often the outcome is very, very positive. In fact, in the majority of cases okay. where we deem a tenancy is at risk, um, that tenancy is then protected due, due to those interventions. Um, and that in a way is the kind of the invisible work challenging those those um, valid or invalid notices of termination. I guess the other thing to say it really is the, the largest issue that we deal with is um, the threat of someone losing their home through uh, the, the, a notice to quit or a, a termination of tenancy. Um, and often you can break that down into three areas. One where the landlord intends to sell. One uh, where the, the landlord um, intends to uh, make substantial um, renovation or where um, they themselves are a close family member intend to move in. Um, and they are the the main reasons in which um, families and individuals face the the end of a tenancy and and the I guess lo- the the spectre of losing their okay. home. So we work very intensively with families in that regard. Can I ask you, just Mike Allen as well, just from from Focus Ireland, just John Mark McCafferty obviously cited a number of you know um, preventative measures as he sees as ways to to try and stop people entering homelessness. But from a Focus Ireland perspective, I, I assume there's probably overlap with what John Mark said. Absolutely, yeah. There's there is. I mean, Threshold is a very specialist, very effective uh, uh, organisation, and the, exactly the sort of cases that John Mark uh, described. But Focus Ireland and other organisations would work with. Anybody who is coming in who is at risk, sometimes referring them onto threshold if it's a specialism, or sometimes, for instance, in addition to the things that John Mark identified, um, which are the main reasons, there are still families who are at risk of losing their tenancy because they're not paying their rent or they have other issues in terms of the way they're they're carrying out the tenancy. And our support staff would be much would be the do case management with them mm-hmm. to try and address those sort of issues so they can sustain the tenancies. We do that with local authorities because the local authorities are sometimes faced with evicting people who aren't paying rent. Very often they're not paying rent because they've got into a mess or they don't know how to budget or other things. So our our staff would support them. Uh has also mentioned, which I think is really inter- interesting work, the, um, the fundamental idea of, of prevention is um, in the middle of the crisis, the best way of solving somebody's problem of homelessness is to help them to live where they currently are already living. Yeah. And so that's it, it, you're holding on to their tenancy, if you like, for, for adults. Or, uh, but it also can mean, particularly for young people, staying with their family for longer periods of time and dealing with the issues that are there. Obviously, if they're criminal or abusive, that's a different matter. But if it's just relationship breakdown. And so this work we've been doing, arising from research that Paula did with us, um, and then we initiated 
with TUSLA, these mediators. And so we've now got three, there's three mediators who are working with families where the young person is either has left home or is on the cusp of leaving home and would be becoming homeless and working with those families and find solutions and how they can recognize what's happening in the relationship. Equally, I think one of the most encouraging things is um, what's called Tusla Kaz, which is for young care leavers. So a, a fund of money has been made available by Department of Housing and, and the Department of Youth and Children through Tusla to buy apartments for young people who are leaving care, turning 18, who are at risk of homelessness. And Folks Island is around 50 units bought through that, that sort of process. Okay. That's 50 young people who, who probably would be currently living in adult homeless accommodation, very vulnerable, who are now living in their own home with support. I mean, uh, just to get clear, I'm, it's absolutely question, like yeah. the housing is, is the, the foundation, yeah. but very often uh, vulnerable There's people need. So, and it's skilled support. It is, it is expensive. And we, we share very much what, what John Mark said about the invisibility of it. If you're running a big shelter or you're running mm. uh, a hub or whatever, you've got something you can show people. But if what yeah, you're doing is about is skills good, yeah. and relationships, it's really, we don't value that. If you look at family homelessness, the government is spending large amounts of money on, on hubs. And yes, we need to do that. We count people on the street, but they're not investing in the sort of skilled one-to-one work, which would actually make the difference for okay. the people. Can I ask you, Paula, just from your own, from a research perspective, just what, what do you see in addition to what um, Mike and John Mark have said, just in terms of, of preventative measures that could perhaps be introduced? Sure. Um, I think um, as indicated by um, the what both uh, John Mark and uh, Mike have been explaining, uh, prevention actually occurs at different levels, different stages along the continuum. So at, the, at, at one end of the spectrum, the preventative spectrum, let's say you're working really hard to keep people out of out of homelessness. Um, so that will that will that will involve different work with different people, different groups. So with young people, it'll involve working maybe with families and keeping them in their local communities, preventing them from entering into the city centre to access a hostel. Um, Then at a later stage, uh, prevention means preventing long-term homelessness. It means getting them into housing as quickly as possible. And then after that, prevention means preventing them from re-entering homelessness. So we're working more there on providing housing supports, uh, to providing tenancy sustainment, uh, to having somebody uh, come around until th- that is no longer required. And that will be particularly important for younger people, um, but it may also be important for some families and uh, single okay. people also. So we need to think of prevent- prevention along a continuum. And I think that um, if we were investing a lot more in prevention um, as well as in housing provision and taking the weight out of emergency uh, provision, um, uh, we we would be working far more effectively to solve the problem. And as Mike mentioned earlier, um, if we keep building hostels, we keep uh, converting um, uh, hotels or other buildings into hubs, uh, we will continue to see our figure, okay. our homelessness figure is rising. We're just going to pick up on that particular point in a few moments. We do have to take a short break. Stay with us. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme here on News Talk with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're discussing youth homelessness and homelessness in Ireland and we're asking what can be done to try to solve the issue and also understanding homelessness. Still with us today, our panel in studio, Dr Paula Mayock, who's the Trinity College Dublin Assistant Professor in Youth Studies, John Mark McCafferty, who's the CEO of Threshold, and also Mike Allen, who's the Director of Advocacy with Focus Ireland. I'm always really conscious when people listen, you know, um, around the time of the budget and they hear these kind of headline figures like 1.1 billion for social housing, an additional 20 million for, you know, for homeless services, 166 million is going to be spent on homeless services next year, supporting people in emergency accommodation and increasing preventative measures. And then I often think that listeners to programmes like this hear the figures and they rise from 900 to 1,000 and maybe 1,200. And and some are, you know, in the middle of all of this, the actual stories behind these statistics are sort of lost in the columns and the rows of the Excel sheets. Like, how, is, there a, an, is there a failure 
um, do you think John Mark McCaffrey tr- to try to communicate to the general public as to what's actually happening? Because I often think that people are a little bit disengaged. If this doesn't affect me, I'm not, you know, it, it's 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 something they've nearly lost a little bit of interest in. I think there's a real challenge for both the government and for um, charities, providers alike, uh, because this crisis, um, this, this housing and homelessness situation, call it what you will, is quite protracted now. You know, we were talking 2013, 2014, when things really started to deteriorate in the private rented sector in terms of things like um, affordability. Um, and then you had a squeeze in terms of uh, the amount of um, housing and uh, that, that was that was available more broadly. So um, the challenge has been really to, at one level, underline the the urgency of the situation because the, the, the ten thousand people, um, many of them families, many of them individuals, many of them children, um, is clearly. Uh, an indictment of a of a society, and at the same time, with it somehow becoming normalised, and with us talking about numbers every month, um, we lose sight somehow of what it means to have lost your home, or what it means to have that spectre um, hanging over mm-hmm. you um, for a family to try to provide, and them receiving some kind of notice from the landlords that the landlord's selling, and they need to be out by a certain number of uh, weeks. That's uh, that's a real um, challenge to continue to resonate with the general public because they hear figures and a lot of people conclude that um, nothing has changed or that success hasn't happened. And in fact, what has happened, and we mentioned this earlier before the break, is in some ways about the invisibility of the successes, the invisibility of the impact that, that we make um, as charities um, and at by government and local government mm-hmm. indeed because of what we're stopping from happening and when we tell the story of Thresholds work um, and I'm sure it's the same with Focus and others what it pains to really try and convey the story of a, of a, of a person of a family who can now who can hold on to the home that they know and that they love yeah. uh, because of interventions on their behalf. And to be fair, we, we, we do often hear the, the, the human stories, the personal stories, you know, behind these statistics. But I often wonder, you know, Mike Allen, like as somebody that's working in, in a news department for years, like John Mark's right, we've been, we've been dealing with a crisis for the past number of years and no matter how much money we seem to pump into it, and the public will say that, you know, we're throwing money into, into this particular issue, 20 million for homeless services announced in their most recent budget, and we just, we can't seem to get on top of it. Um, because we're not doing the right things. Um, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, both in terms of how newsrooms are struggling, how homeless and, and housing organisations are struggling to how do we tell the, to tell this story, um, and how people are struggling to sort of you know deal with something which is both a crisis and and normal. And it, you know these these are usually ideas that don't go together. But I have a slightly different take. I actually think that the extent to which Irish people are engaged in this is quite extraordinary. I think the effect, the extent to which people in the private rented sector, um, who are who are at work and are facing um, uh, rent increases and and so on, don't see themselves as separate from the people who've been forced out. They see it as a common issue. We went uh, on our youth homelessness campaign. We went up to Body and Soul and worked with Body and Soul at the the festival mm-hmm. there, and we were going to go up and talk about youth homelessness. My daughter was going to the event uh, as a as a um, you know. As a leisure activity, and she said, "That sounds. She sounds like that sounds like a bit of a downer. Um, come and talk about youth homelessness. We thought about it. We did it imaginatively, and there was an incredible engagement from from young people who weren't facing homelessness, who saw a continuum between the problems they're facing in the housing market and people who are for, forced in, in, into homelessness. The level of fundraising support, the level of volunteering, the level of engagement in Ireland on this issue is extremely yeah, high. And, and, I get Com- that. and compared with other countries, yeah. what we need to do, is we may be having an election shortly, we'll certainly be won by May. That really, people can't get pissed off with this because, it, if I can use that language, they can't walk away from it. They need to keep on demanding. And just because the government is coming out with lists of figures, they really have to say, get behind the figures and what you're, all the money you're throwing at it. What is your solution? Do you have, how are you going to get these houses built? And vote for parties who have reasonable and strong answers to, to that question, okay. because that's how the problem is going to be solved. Do you think, is it just as simple as that, Paula? 
Um, you keep on saying my answers are simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you sort of say, "Oh, you make these things too complicated." Yeah. When you bring it down, you're saying it's simplifying. Yeah, no, I, it. I, yeah. I, I know. Ultimate, what you're ultimately, the government. There is no country in the world that has solved the housing and homeless crisis by voluntary action, by charities, by people who have given out soup no, or look, sandwiches. There's a, there's a number of the key stakeholders have to work it, no, it down. No, but the government has to do it. It is why we have a state to deal with large-scale social, logistical issues, financial issues like this. That's why we have a government. It is fundamentally good. We all have a part to play in helping solving it, and Focus Ireland is mm. desperate to, to be part of that. But it needs to be led by a commitment to government. This government is the first government we've had for almost 20 years which hasn't even got an objective of ending homelessness. Okay, no, no, Not they, anywhere they, in the they, future. Yeah, Nowhere they, in the they, future. They'll obviously disagree. Ha- but yet no, 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 they can't disagree with that. That is their position. They haven't got an objective. Which we've never, now, we've never invested them, as much, Mike, though, in this area. That's the thing. But Financially. But but that's because we've made so many messes. We're like we're, we're spending money on bandages. We're spending money on blood transfusions, and we're not dealing with the fundamental issue. And we have been saying that, and all the homeless organisations have been saying it since two thousand and thirteen. The scale of this and what you need to do is disproportionate. Okay. They're always behind, and they're always putting money into the emergency, but they are putting insufficient. Uh, uh, investment into the fundamental Yeah, I know solutions. what you're saying. It's the emer- kind of the yeah, emergency yeah, room yeah, um, idea. Yeah. Paula, what's your view? Um, well, firstly, I think the going back to the public, I think the public have been quite engaged with this topic. I think the public have been quite angry about it. Um, and that's one end, end of the story. Um, um, the other is that it's going on for years mm-hmm. and people are... are I think people are fatigued by it. I think they're still angry. But there is um, that notion that we're hearing it every day, that it's it's just been part of Irish life now, uh, having this massive yeah. homelessness population. Um, uh, I think Mike is right in saying that the investment is going into the wrong places. Uh, we keep investing. You've listed off the budget figures there. Uh, but the amount going into emergency services is way too high and the amount going into housing is way too low. So I think that um, we won't see um, a a massive change in our homelessness figures unless we start to invest in different forms of housing, in social housing, in reforming the private rental sector, uh, in uh, all of what uh, John Mm -hmm. Mark has explained there in relation to the private rental sector on the one hand, and then we have the whole issue of social housing on the other. Okay. just want to go back to one final point just that, that um, uh, Mike Allen mentioned a little bit earlier in the programme. Just Mike, you talked about Finland being the, the country whereby um, it was, I don't want to say ranked best, but in terms of their progress of getting people out of homelessness, you know, but, but just, I mean, what other countries can we look to just, you know, briefly that, um, that perhaps have made progress at a sort of a, at a fairly quick pace? Um. Well, Finland is the, the outstanding example in that they're the only country in the European Union where the level of homelessness has fallen. And they, the way they count homelessness includes people who have gone back to live with their parents uh, without wishing to because they can't afford elsewhere. They include, in terms of housing need, all sorts of people that we completely ignore. And even with that, their homelessness is, is much lower than ours. The actual number of, of people in emergency shelters in, in Helsinki about 15 years ago was the same as ours. Um, was higher than ours 15 mm. years ago, and now it's down to fewer than 100 in, in emergency sh- shelters. So there's a lot to be learnt there. And what they've done is a Housing First programme, but it's not just a Housing First programme like we're running in Ireland, which is just concentrated on, a, on, on rough sleepers and the most disadvantaged, useful though that is. They've taken the entire values of Housing First and applied it to their whole housing system. Okay. And they have an organisation there, which is uh, the Y Foundation, which has built up a, a stock of housing for people moving out of homelessness, which has been allowed to build right they as bad a recession almost as us. And right the way through that period of time, they continued to build social housing and they continued to, to build up their response to that. And they'd separated it and made it a genuine priority where it couldn't suddenly say, well, you have to stop doing that because we've suddenly decided something else is important. They allowed it to have its own dynamic and, and uh, keep working right the way through the double dip recession that they had in Finland. So there's a huge amount to to, 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 to be learned. Just, to, just very briefly on that, because we're just tight on time, but just Paula and uh, John Mark, um, maybe just John Mark, I'll come to yourself first. Just on, I mean, is Finland the country that you think as well is, is probably the one that we should be looking towards? 
I think a lot of the the northern mainland European countries um, can uh, teach us a lot of things. And uh, in fact, this week there was a European Foundation for Living conference uh, looking at these some of these very issues in relation to housing supply. Um, I, you know, essentially, we're talking about supply of, of of housing, and key to that are local authorities and housing associations and the ramping up of supply, and that that is happening, but from a really low baseline. Secondly, the preventative measures that all three of us have been talking about, mm-hmm. um, whether that's you know the kind of threshold style prevention or prevention once people have, are in that, if you like, cycle of um, emergency accommodation. And then thirdly, and I think this is really important, is the ongoing improvements and changes um, to do with policies and law with regard to the private okay, rented yeah. sector. And just and an, yeah, because no. this summer there were big changes yeah. and some of those changes coming through the Residential Tenancies Board should have a positive impact. We need to see how that goes. But further changes need to be be done in order to improve security of tenure. Just a final word to you, Paula, on that today. Um, Yeah, I think we do. We can look. There are many examples internationally that we can look to. Obviously, there are Scandinavian models, particularly in the Finnish context. But for example, in relation to youth homelessness, we also could look to uh, the Canadian context, where they have a, a far better de- uh, developed um, system and model of housing first for youth, and also to the Canadian context for prevention and the Australian context for prevention. There is a project in Australia called the Geelong Project, and uh, it's a prevention preventative project operating in a city around, uh, I think it's around twice the size of Cork, and they have succeeded in reducing their youth homelessness figures by 40%. Okay. And just briefly, just the Canadian model, what, what did they? The Canadians have been, have succeeded in developing a much more comprehensive and uh, appropriate housing first for youth models. So they recognise that some young people may be able to return home. Some young people may be able to move directly into housing with support, but there are others who will need supports in more supported or transitional forms of housing. So they assess their needs and in consultation, very importantly, with the young person, it's very um, focused on uh, giving young people a say or a voice in their futures and their housing futures. But they... um, uh, very much enter into consultation okay. with the young person and find appropriate accommodation at the earliest possible juncture. A huge amount to consider today. Mm-hmm. My thanks to you all for your time. A really informative discussion. I'm afraid that is all we have time for as part of today's Between the Lines programme. You can still listen back to the programme um, on our podcast on the Go Loud app or on our website at newstalk.com. My thanks to the panel, Dr Paula Mayock from Trinity College Dublin, John Mark McCafferty from Threshold and also Mike Allen from Focus Ireland. My thanks to the production team today, Stephen Jordan and Simon Keane. I'll be back with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6. Bandwidth between the lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.